Hi, welcome to a new episode of DE Editors Chat. So let's start with our self-introductions again to identify who we are. I'm Kenneth Wong, Senior Editor for DE 24-7. And let's go to Brian. Brian, self-introduction again, please. Sure, I'm Brian Albright. I am the Editorial Director of DE 24-7. Thank you. And we actually have a new member to our chat team today. And Stephanie, your self-introduction, please. Hi, I'm Stephanie Skernovitz, and I'm Associate Editor at Digital Engineering. I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Welcome. So instead of two, now we have a three-way conversation. Um, I just went to my first in-person conference in the last one year or so, of course, and that is Augmented World Expo. It focuses on augmented reality and to some extent also virtual reality. It's called awe. So that is my latest report from it. And what I notice is that there is a lot of um, vendors who are bringing haptic, the simulation of sensation through pressure and hydraulic technology so that the simulated scenarios feel much more realistic. I wondered what you guys think about that. Um, is there, um, do you feel like this is adding value to what uh, what our engineering readers usually like to do in their work? Um, you know, I, I think so, although we're, st we're still seeing, uh, you know, relatively low uptake. Uh, but I, I think that's changed a bit. I think over the past year and a half, we're seeing more interest in at least experimenting with this. Um, exactly how it's going to be used. I think, I think people are a little unclear. And, and we just had our own uh, technology outlook survey. Where we surveyed our readers. And I think that was very reflective of that in terms of there's a lot of high interest, but not necessarily a whole lot of practical deployment yet. Right. Um, the, some of the companies that I saw, for example, um, are not surprising. Not surprising in the sense that uh, these are um, the natural way in which you might think of implementing haptic devices. So B haptics, for example, allows you to put on something that looks like a bulletproof vest, which is embedded with uh, pressure sensors and vibration sensors. So if you are doing something, your body actually feels what you what it is supposed to feel. Uh, Haptex, H-A-P-T-X, give you a glove so that your hand feel what you are supposed to feel. Uh, what did, And when you were at the show, did you get any feel for the type of user interest in things like haptics, you know, like who's actually doing this now? You know, undeniably, the bigger market is still the game market, the kind of um, hardware gear that you, you can hold in your hand that represent a gun or a laser point, a laser shooter or a lightsaber or things like that. So it signals to me that at the moment, they're still thinking about game, but it, it may be only because they haven't figured out the right application for professional environments yet. Right. The other thing that just wrapped up recently, of course, is um, uh, NVIDIA GTC. GTC came twice this year because there is a earlier version in April, and then now this is the fall edition that just happened this week. And the biggest talk of GTC seems to be Omniverse, of course. The Omniverse is the immersive 3D-enabled um, hyper-realistic world where NVIDIA hopes people will collaborate and do a lot of design review and things like that. And that seems to suggest that there is a competition between GTC, um, NVIDIA's version of 
omniverse, which is, I guess it is a type of metaverse. And now Facebook also thinking about doing metaverse. What are your thoughts on metaverse, Brian? Um, are, are, are readers ready to jump into it and start using that sort of thing? Uh, I think pr probably some of the more forward-thinking folks are doing this, although maybe not work-related, because um, I think some of the early, some of the early adoption of this may be more sort of entertainment-focused. I I would think, but the the potential of it in that, um, as at least the way Nvidia has described it, in that you can have these different software packages that don't normally work together. This would provide a platform where you can sort of visually work with files and designs that are coming from things like AutoCAD or now a PTC Onshape is signed on. Uh, and then you know have some sort of virtual collaborative space that just makes it easier without having to do file transfers or translations. I think that has a lot of potential. I, I, I'm not sure who would be necessarily doing it yet, but it I, I think there's there's a seed of something there that's going to be very important moving forward. Um, I think in terms of the metaverse in general, when I when I, you know part of uh, the Nvidia keynote, they talked about this. They're they're going to create this whole Earth simulation model, so we can sort of look at weather and um, climate change. And he referred to it, I think, even as Earth Two. And my immediate thought was that like, is this just some sort of plot where like Richard Branson is going to upload his consciousness to Earth Two and leave the rest of us here to, <laughs> to suffer on the planet while it falls into the sun? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm worried. Like, they're just they're just creating the matrix <laughs> for us, for all of us in real life. Uh, but, but we'll see. I think for in the engineering space, I can see some problems that can be solved with it. They just haven't really demonstrated that yet in the use cases, or at least during the early part of the rollout, because right now they're kind of focusing on the, uh, you know, kind of cool novelty of the technology itself. Um, That's true. Uh, in the case of the Omniverse, by the way, they do have some early beta users. So for example, telecom service provider Ericsson used the Omniverse, used the Omniverse to analyze their cell, 5G cell coverage. And BMW is one of the car makers that are have creating a digital twin of their factory. So in the case of NVIDIA, I think they envision the Omniverse as the home of the digital twins. Um, but um, we'll have to wait and see about the other big player, Microsoft, matter what used to be facebook and how they pitch their own version of the metaverse to the businesses um stephanie let's turn to let's turn our attention to the headline uh the memorable headlines of the news stories that you worked on well, what struck out uh, in the recent news headlines what captured your imagination I just took a look at some of the things that were going on on campuses across the nation, especially in engineering schools. One that caught my eye was out of Michigan State. They're going to have uh, an electric autonomous bus service on campus as early as January of this coming year. And uh, it's part of the campus's smart mobility ecosystem. So apparently this is considered to be one of the biggest electric autonomous transit vehicles to be used on US roads, which caught my eye. Apparently Michigan State is teaming up with the uh, state of Michigan, a uh, bus manufacturer, Carson, and Addis Tech, a San Francisco-based company that builds these advanced automated systems for commercial vehicles. 
So apparently it has to go through a number of tests before it'll actually be used on campus, which I was happy to see. And uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration will also sign off on official validation of the bus. But I'll just be curious to watch how this plays out and whether this kind of thing will you know, be a, a new trend that we'll see on campuses. My sons will be going to school in a couple years uh, at the college level. So who knows what the world will look like then. But yeah, I just thought this was kind of interesting. That will definitely make um, simulation software makers um, excited because that means in addition to car makers, government agencies will get involved and they will potentially start to test out um, fleets of fleets of public um, public buses, for example, uh, that needs to, that may actually be on autonomous mode. Um, um, what are your personal feelings, Stephanie, about riding on an autonomous bus or sending your son off to school on an autonomous school bus? Well, I think one of the safety features that they did note that I failed to add earlier was that they will have a driver from Addis Tech on the bus at all times, just in case. So I think that would make me feel a little better about it. But I don't know. I, I would need to see them run safely for a while without passengers before I would want to get on one personally. But that's just me. Yeah, so. I, I think <laughs> I think earlier versions of autonomous vehicles will all have um a human driver, uh, because um, the car makers, autonomous car makers, recognizes that uh, people culturally are not prepared yet to just ride on a bus that doesn't have a human driver. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the autonomous vehicle stories that we've worked on before and what Stephanie has just identified for us? Well, I can tell you, having worked for the campus bus service when I was in college, there were really <laughs> already buses running that seemed to not have human drivers on them. <laughs> uh, you're kind of 50-50 on safety there. Um, it, it's. Uh, I'm glad to see some of these this, this provides a way to have like a large scale test and but in a relatively controlled environment and i know there is a and i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but there is a large autonomous vehicle test bed in michigan uh near detroit obviously the automotive industry being headquartered there um that's been running for some time so it's not surprising that this would be uh you know this campus experiment is happening in michigan um so I, you know i think we're we keep edging closer to practical applications of this technology. We see it in different parts of the world. Uh, and hopefully, you know, something like this will provide, a, a, you know, even more data on how to make these work safely. And I think mass transit is really almost a better application of autonomous vehicles because um, it's, it sort of solves a specific problem and that you have trouble keeping drivers, uh, but also you're, you're just moving more people um, so I think it's an easier deployment model. I think you're absolutely right. And that may be the reason many of these autonomous car makers are thinking about campuses and um, controlled spaces like airports, for example, as the place to experiment with uh, mass transportation autonomous mode to begin with, because the routes are pretty clearly defined and there are not a lot of 
traffic maneuvering, like um, worrying about lane changes and somebody cutting off on the highway and things like that. And in many cases, um, the trains that run on tracks, the electric trains that run on tracks in California, for example, they are pretty autonomous, I would say. The human driver is there largely to monitor the doors and the customer interactions and trying to make sure that uh, he or she can intervene in case of some big emergency. So I, th I think it's heading in the right direction. Another, um, it's contributing to another level of autonomy, I think. What else do you have, Stephanie? What are the other headlines that captured your attention? Uh, there is another story out of Rice University out in Houston. Uh, they were the university was picked to create um, 3D printed smart helmets for the military. And uh, apparently the US Department of Defense gave them a million dollar grant to invent what may be the first printable smart helmet. At any rate, they are going to give standard issue military helmets a really modern upgrade. So these are going to be 3D printed nanomaterial enhanced exoskeleton with embedded sensors in it. And it's supposed to offer brain protection against any kind of external effects. Uh, the director of the program said they're using a carbon L1 printer to make the helmets, which they'll feature advanced materials and artificial intelligence, haptic feedback and energy storage. So he kind of compared these helmets to uh, building Jarvis. And I knew Jarvis sounded familiar. I had to think about it for a bit. And I admittedly looked it up. And it's <laughs> the, the voiced artificial intelligence created by Tony Stark of Iron Man. But anyway, oh, this is okay. yeah, a new direction they're going in additive manufacturing. So I'll be curious to see if it's adopted, not just here, but around the world. So, but. You know, it reminds me of the one of the previous stories that we've worked on um, because um, some sports sporting goods manufacturer have started 3D printing football players helmet precisely for the same reason because they believe that they can print very minute um, structural elements inside the helmet that can offer better protection for the head of the football player. So I think, I think there is precedence already set. So I think this is a good direction that's heading. Brian, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I've actually, I, I read a little bit about this before too. My son is very interested in, in this helmet technology for some reason. And it's, it's interesting to see because the, with the military, they have to balance the you know, protective function of the helmet with some of the problems with helmets that they have in terms of how they affect vision and hearing uh, and how disorienting uh, the experience from inside a helmet can be if you're in a combat, for example, or trying to operate a vehicle. Uh, so the, the addition of technology to the helmets to kind of help balance those two things, the giving people uh, sort of you know, workable perception of their environment, uh, but also keeping your head safe, which is what the helmet's supposed to do, uh, is interesting to see. So I think, you know, It'll be interesting to see how 3D printing affects that and also the type of technology they embed in the helmet, you know, what, what they're doing in terms of, uh, you know, helping the person wearing the helmet sense their environment in a way that's you know, he's kind of easier on their brain. Yeah. Um, by the way, Brian, um, we both actually tune into um, NVIDIA GTC Fall Edition. So what are the other things that um, from the news from the show that caught your attention? What should, well, we, what should we talk about? 
the one thing that I, I was really interested in, and this kind of almost ties back into what Stephanie was talking about with the autonomous bus service, was that one of the announcements NVIDIA made was about this product that, that's existed for a while called Replicator. Uh, and right now it's in use with two tools NVIDIA has. One is Drive Sim for autonomous vehicle development, and one is Isaac Sim for uh, robotics systems development. And what Replicator does is it generates synthetic data that can be used for simulation and testing. And that's important because I'll just stick with autonomous vehicles because in autonomous vehicle development, you need all this data to train the neural networks that run these things. And there are two ways to get it. One is you have these test vehicles running around that have all these sensors all over them and cameras and they gather all this data about how the vehicle performs and, and the conditions that it experiences, both in terms of environmental and traffic. And the other way you can do it is you have, uh, you have a whole army of programmers kind of coming up with data or they're evaluating the camera data that you've got and trying to label it all so that the neural network can make sense of it. And it's incredibly laborious and also still incomplete because as you can imagine, uh, if you're driving a car on any given road someplace, there are millions of different combinations of things that can happen. And they're very difficult to simulate, especially edge case things. Like if you have a car driving around that's equipped with sensors, you're going to get all this driving data, but you're not necessarily ever going to get data from when a, like a child runs out in front of the car. And you probably don't even want to get that data from a real world test. You know, right. you, know you don't want actual accident data because that means someone driving your car had an accident. Uh, but Creating it manually is very difficult. What Replicator can do is it can create whole you know, gobs of this data and do it automatically, and it's all already labeled, and you can control for things like velocity and vehicle distance and that sort of thing. Uh, and it can greatly accelerate this process. And also, because it's very easy to use, lets lots of other you know, people that are not uh, specialists in it create the data very quickly. So I think it has a lot of potential, not only in developing these autonomous systems, but you know, I think NVIDIA's vision is eventually people developing all types of products can do this and really enrich their simulation and testing in ways that they really couldn't do it before. Mm, it raises interesting questions. I think some of those questions did came up during the Q&A as well, um, if I remember correctly, about how realistic a synthetic generated synthetically generated data can be I remember very clearly there was one um, famous case of an autonomous car maker that generate data and train its cars in essentially a North American based kind of landscape to navigate and the car did pretty well until it test drive the car in Australia and the car came across a kangaroo and didn't know how to react because the generated data was really, you know, the AI learned to generate its synthetic data. So it's going to learn from a pool of data that is in existence. And if that pool of data is limited to a specific region, then that limitation applies to the synthetically generated data as well. So, um, it's a question that is still unresolved, I think, um, about synthetically generated data's reliability. What are your thoughts? What else do you, what else do you um, um, want to discuss about the headlines lately? Uh, well, I think, you know, kind of going back to that, that, you know, like a lot of technology, that's not really a technology problem, sort of a people problem, right? I mean, that's the bias of the person training the AI or, you know, providing the data to the AI. So, 
um, I guess we need sort of uh, more flexibly thinking people <laughs> like <laughs> using the technology or maybe some ways to uh, you know, filter out those geographic biases or, or any, you know, what other, whatever other biases might come in uh, in product development. Um, but I think that's probably a hurdle we can get over. Mm, um, yeah. The other big news story that I noticed was uh, General Electric GE announced that it is breaking up uh, into three separate entities. Uh, GE is a huge company that uh, has its hand in all sorts of markets, uh, and all and all three divisions are going to be multi-billion-dollar public companies even after the fact. But um, one division will just be GE's healthcare product line. Uh, another division will be its uh, GE Power and GE Digital and a few other divisions kind of combined into one. The main flagship GE company that remains will be its aviation business, which uh, for those of you who read our news about additive manufacturing know that you know, GE is very heavily involved not only in making things like rocket engines, but they've also been very forward thinking on 3D printing metal end use parts for jet engines, for rocket engines. So they didn't mention this when they made the announcement. I reached out to GE to find out what's going to happen to the additive division, because I think uh, it did have some relevance to the other two parts of GE, the power and the medical division. And they confirmed that GE additive will remain part of GE aviation uh, moving forward. And they didn't expect uh, really any changes in terms of facilities or employee count there. Now this uh, comes after, after uh, you know, G's had some financial struggles. They've been working a lot on debt reduction and consolidation and a few other things. And this actually goes all the way back to the recession uh, from 2008, 2009, and some of the decisions that were made then. So they've been, uh, you know, kind of struggling to uh, better manage this very, very, very large business. And, and the splitting into three companies, which is going to happen over the course of the next couple of years, is part of their response to that. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, how the you know, what that means for GE additive moving forward, uh, but it will still be part of the aviation business. Mm. GE, of course, also compete with some of the other companies like Siemens when it comes to plant management and even in the areas of uh, digital twin software and things like that. So does the split up, do you think, affect which division handle these kind of products? Uh, you know, I think we'll we'll probably have to see uh, because there are you know the thing about G's sort of technology focused operations where they really cut across all of their uh, markets like healthcare, like power, like aviation. Um, so the fact that you know additive was mostly focused on aviation and going there isn't that surprising. But um, I'm almost curious as to whether down the road there's any sort of unstated plans about spinning off some of those technology businesses into their own entities because they could certainly stand on their own in some ways. Um, you know, so I guess we'll have to see. I, I was, it's on a personal note. I was it was funny. I was reading the story and then talking to the folks at GI. I was thinking back. My mother. Uh, one of her first jobs out of high school, she worked for General Electric. Right. She inspected incandescent light bulbs at a light bulb mm -hmm. factory. So she was in quality control. So they, you know, they'd pull out every fifth or 10th light bulb and she'd have to look at it. Oh, I'm, lo interesting. I'm looking at my, um, my kitchen area and I just realized that my refrigerator is GE. <laughs> yeah, <same>. So, <laughs> so I, I think for most people that is true. Uh, but of course, um, 
for in in the perspective of how we cover GE because GE plays into a lot of other areas than just making household appliances. Well, thank you very much, um, uh, both Steph and um, Brian for bringing forward these news items. Um, this being Friday, let me just uh, wish you both uh, a wonderful weekend and then looking forward to the next episode. Me too, Thanks, Kat. Kat. thank you. All right, bye-bye everybody. Bye. bye.